Good morning. In today's headlines, Tropical Storm Idalia is continuing to wreak havoc today in the South Carolinas. We have more on that and we also take a look at the wreckage left behind in its wake as those affected try to pick up the pieces. Some highlights from Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s town hall in New York City last night. What messages resonated with the audience? We speak to our sister media's reporter who was on the ground. New York's Attorney General wants a judge to declare former President Trump liable for fraud even before a trial. And Trump's lawyers file a motion to dismiss the entire case. We have the latest on Trump's civil case. For the past two decades, the Chinese Communist Party has waged covert economic warfare against the U.S. Business leaders outline impacts on American manufacturing. A discussion in a California library on girls' sports boils over into a battle over free speech. Entity speaks with a former college athlete about what went down. And we have the story of Hong Kong's Sugar Man creating unique works of art using molten sugar. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Thursday, 31st of August. It's great to have you back, Evelyn. Thank you so much. It's great to be back. Yeah, and I'm really glad that the Citrus County Sheriff's Department was able to rescue some of those Floridians who didn't evacuate. Yeah, such powerful winds. They even toppled gas stations. Yeah, that's right. And we're glad you're here. We're going to get started with our top news and update on Idalia. It's hammering the Carolinas as a tropical storm. It battered Florida yesterday as a hurricane. It brought storm surge and wind gusts not seen in parts of the Gulf Coast for at least 125 years. It blew swiftly across Florida and Georgia before making its way to the Carolinas. It has destroyed homes, blown off roofs, caused flooding. Over 300,000 customers were without power in the affected states early this morning. The National Hurricane Center says North Carolina will continue to see flash floods and river flooding today. Coastal flooding in the storm surge watch area is also forecast. Idalia is forecast to weaken further but should remain a tropical storm as it moves through North Carolina. And continuing with the storm, Idalia unleashed fury on Florida yesterday. It made landfall as a Category 3 hurricane, bringing dangerous winds and a life-threatening storm surge. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more on the aftermath. This Florida home couldn't withstand Idalia's wrath eventually submitting to the powerful water and wind, pummeling it from all sides. Wrecked houses awaited some upon their return to Horseshoe Beach. Widespread flooding and havoc could be seen in other areas of the community. Others were more fortunate. I'm feeling great. The house is still here. Shrimp fisherman Dan Ellison still finds plenty to be grateful for, despite the storm's challenges. Horseshoe Beach. <laughs> is one of the best communities on this coastline to me. I've been all over. Uh, well, I've lived there my whole life, but the people here is like family. This Cedar Key resident described Adalia's ferocity. So here's the aftermath. This was, uh, this was an amazing, uh, we, uh, this was the far away end. These are all little old school Florida villas and they were just picked up and carried into the Gulf. So that was heartbreaking to see. Citrus County Sheriff Mike Prendergast says some complied with the mandatory evacuation. 
a lot of folks unfortunately did not comply. And then today when the storm waters rose, these folks were cut off from land. Ultimately, uh, we counted 73 folks that we rescued today. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis told Fox Florida was prepared for the storm and has already restored power to 370,000 people. We were ready for this, so we had a search and rescue teams staged, National Guard, we had 5,500 National Guard, we had 1.2 million gallons of gasoline in the event of fuel shortages, and we had over 30,000 uh, linemen to restore power. Up in South Carolina, residents of Charleston likely hoped to avoid an unwelcome visit from Idalia, but the storm showed up anyway, bringing a deluge on the roadways. We are seeing a lot of flooded streets. We currently have about 50 streets that are closed uh, due to flooding uh, specifically, and we've rescued uh, a little over 20 people so far. South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster had reminded citizens ahead of Idalia of the dangers of such roadway floods. There'll be water on the roads. There'll be uh, water that does not appear to be deep. Uh, your car could get flooded out. Speaking of cars, a tornado in the state lifted this one up and flipped it over on the road. Back in Florida, at least 30 of 52 school districts that closed ahead of the storm will be open again Thursday, while eight districts are set to reopen Friday. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis had a message for any would-be looters in the aftermath of the storm, saying, you loot, we shoot. The governor added that people have a right to defend their property and that Florida has a lot of Second Amendment enthusiasts. And we're going to get some insight into Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s campaign. Our next guest was at RFK's town hall in Brooklyn last night. Jeff Lauderback, a reporter for the Epic Times, joins us live. Jeff, it's great to have you with us. What can you tell about the town hall last night. Anything interesting? Yeah, well, good morning and thanks for having me. Uh, what's interesting about the RFK Jr. campaign is really picking up momentum. I was in South Carolina and Richmond, Virginia last week for his town hall tour. They uh, organize certain events like a day or two in advance and they're getting four or five, six hundred people. Yesterday, they had a town hall in Brooklyn and they organized it a day and a half beforehand. They had 800 people and RFK Jr. was telling the audience that only Donald Trump is drawing more to his events, and he unveiled some new uh, ideas last night. That's interesting. Yeah, some good turnout there, relatively speaking. What were some of the ideas that he tossed out? Well, what's interesting is he had talked about recently introducing 3% uh, mortgages, and those would be backed by tax-free bonds, so it wouldn't be uh, taxpayer money. And the first 500,000 of those would be given to teachers. And of course, he is running a campaign on restoring the middle class. RFK Jr. are well known for his uh, vaccine uh, advocacy about the dangers of vaccines. And something new he talked about last night was he said he would institute an executive action if elected to ban pharmaceutical advertising. So that's similar to obviously a long time ago banning smoking ads. He wants to do the same with pharmaceuticals. Well, yeah, and especially following the pandemic, we've seen a lot of these investment firms buy up a ton of private houses, <laughs> crowding Americans out of the market there. So he's take, definitely taking action on that. What else do you, did you find interesting? What, what was the audience really tuned in about? Well, I, I, I kind of uh, grinned when you said that because he was talking about, he, he hits, he's the only candidate really hitting on 
he he has the courage to hit on BlackRock and uh, State Street and Vanguard, those companies that you mentioned that are buying up a lot of uh, single family homes and driving up rents. He wants to make, that's another thing he wants to do is make it more difficult, uh, make it less profitable for companies to own single family homes. The audience, they, uh, just like they were in South Carolina, they're wide ranging. There's a lot of people who supported Donald Trump in 2016 and 2020 that like RFK Jr.'s uh, widespread appeal and, and they compare his campaign right now to Donald Trump's in 2016. That's interesting. So what's next for RFK Jr.'s campaign? Well, I believe he's headed back to South Carolina. I know I'm going to be in New Hampshire uh, in a week and a half or two. I think South Carolina, New Hampshire. He's going to be spending a lot of time in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, since those are the uh, first three primaries. Yeah, definitely. Well, and we talk about BlackRock. I mean, he's even gotten some praise from candidates in the other primary. Like, for example, Vivek Ramaswamy also agreed with some of his criticism that he had towards BlackRock and these other companies buying up a lot of American houses. Yeah, well, uh, and Vivek Ramaswamy is about the only other candidate talking about that. It is a bipartisan issue. I know um, in Ohio, Senator Sherrod Brown, who's a Democrat, introduced legislation to stop that. Uh, that legislation is still ongoing, but it's something that uh, both Democrats and Republicans see as an issue, but only uh, RFK Jr. and Vivek Ramaswamy are talking about it. Right. Well, Jeff Lauderback, reporter for the Epic Times, thank you for your insight. Thank you. An update in New York, New York Attorney General Letitia James's civil case against former President Trump. James asked a state judge yesterday to declare Trump liable for fraud even before a trial. Trump's attorneys then filed a motion to dismiss the entire case. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg tells us more. Silence is the enemy. James alleged in unsealed court filings filed Wednesday that Trump committed fraud by overstating his worth and by submitting false statements to bankers and insurers. Defendants in the case include Trump, his adult sons Donald Jr. and Eric Trump, and the Trump Organization. The attorney general accused Trump of grossly exaggerating his net worth every year from 2011 to 2021 by $812 million to $2.2 billion. She's seeking to stop the Trumps from running businesses in New York and at least $250 million. James called the efforts to inflate Trump's assets staggering and just the tip of a much larger iceberg of deception she's prepared to expose at trial. A trial before state Supreme Court Justice Arthur Engerin is set for October 2nd. But James's office doesn't want to wait and is looking for an immediate verdict. It argued Engoran only needs to answer two questions to rule. If Trump's annual financial statements were false or misleading, and if he and the Trump Organization used those statements while conducting business transactions. James's special litigation counsel Andrew Amer claimed in the motion, the answer to both questions is a resounding yes, based on the mountain of undisputed evidence. Some examples provided include Trump's penthouse triplex, which James says should have been valued at $120 million instead of $327 million in 2016, and Mar-a-Lago, which James says should have been valued at $25 million instead of $740 million in 2018, based on its restricted use as a social club. Lawyers for Trump and the other defendants filed their own papers seeking to dismiss the entire case. They argue that many of the allegations are barred by the statute of limitations. They also say James hasn't offered proof of anyone being harmed and has no standing to sue because the entities allegedly defrauded have never complained and have profited from their business dealings with Trump. 
Even if the judge rules on the fraud claim, he would still preside over a non-jury trial on six other remaining claims in the lawsuit if it's not settled. Judge Engerin has scheduled a hearing on James's request for September 22nd. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. And in Trump's classified documents case, lawyers from Mar-a-Lago's property managers say prosecutors are overplaying a potential conflict of interest. Carlos de Oliveira is, charging, is charged alongside Trump. Prosecutors told the judge earlier this month that one of de Oliveira's attorneys, John Irving, was representing three possible witnesses in the case. The new filing from de Oliveira's legal team says Irving no longer represents those three people. De Oliveira's lawyers said Irving is unaware of any confidential information he received from the three that could be used during cross-examination. They suggest if there was such information, then a recently hired co-counsel could do the questioning. The defense lawyers also said they would not oppose the judge conducting a hearing with de Oliveira to make sure his constitutional rights to counsel are protected, but only if it's done in secret and without prosecutors involved. In Georgia, two of Trump's co-defendants asked a judge to break apart the state's 2020 election case and be tried separately. District Attorney Fannie Willis means to hold one trial for all 19 defendants in October. Lawyers Sidney Powell and Kenneth Chesro filed a motion yesterday asking for their cases to be severed. Both deny any wrongdoing and have invoked their right to a speedy trial. Trump's lawyers have also said they want to separate his case from the other defendants, but they haven't filed a motion in court yet. Chesbro's attorneys also asked the judge to force Willis to disclose the identities of the 30 unindicted co-conspirators from the indictment. He says he needs the names to help his defense. Up next, President Biden outlines the federal response to recent natural disasters, including $95 million for Hawaii's electrical grid and $400 million to remove debris. And forecasters are warning of an increased risk of fires spreading in Hawaii. We speak to an expert to learn how to best prepare. Welcome back. If it feels like you've heard about more weather disasters lately, there's a reason. The federal government keeps track of disasters that cost at least a billion dollars. In the 1980s, there were about three a year. Last year, there were 18. Wednesday, President Joe Biden detailed what he thinks is behind it and the cost it carries. As difficult as it is to watch water churn, waves invade, landscapes shift in seconds, it takes longer to see the big picture cost of storms like Idalia. It's far too early to even estimate what the cost is. The Federal Emergency Management Agency administrator says there are 1,500 federal responders on the ground, including 300 from FEMA. Chriswell is expected to tour Florida Thursday, as she toured Hawaii last week after the wildfires. These impacts in the agriculture areas could be you've lost your crops for the year and it may take another year to get to your next crops. And so all the people that depend upon that, the jobs and businesses that depend upon that, uh, this could be a significant impact, not just from the initial storm, but the economic impacts. The costs add up. Wednesday, President Joe Biden announced $95 million for Hawaii's electrical grid, $400 million to remove debris. 
Even before Maui and Florida, the federal government says 15 events this year cost more than $39 billion. FEMA's director says the emergency management relief fund could run dry without more money from Congress. We are looking at what the cost of these storms are as we approach um, the end of this fiscal year. President Biden says there should be no debate. How can we not respond? My God, how can we not respond to these needs? And so I'm confident, even though there's a lot of talk from some of our friends up on the Hill about the cost, we got to do it. Budget talks loom as does the rest of hurricane season. Apart from the fierce wind and rains it brought, Idalia is expected to present insurers with claims in the billions of dollars. The claims could result in higher premiums for customers. In Florida, UBS Bank estimated average insured losses of over $9 billion. At that figure, Idalia would cost insurers less than 10 of the costliest hurricanes to hit the United States. The storm is another burden in what has already been a challenging year for the industry. Global insurers hiked rates on key types of coverage by as much as 50% from July 1st. They blamed sharp losses from the Ukraine war and increasing wildfires and hurricanes in states such as California and Florida. Forecasters are warning of an increased risk of fire spreading in Hawaii that's due to gusty winds and low humidity. The agency said winds would not be as powerful as on August 8th when most of Lahaina burned. Wind gusts then topped 60 miles per hour. This time, winds are forecast to be 15 to 30 miles per hour, with gusts up to 50 miles per hour. The National Weather Service says the conditions could cause fires to spread rapidly. The warning applies to the western parts of each Hawaiian island. And in the wake of devastating wildfires in Hawaii and Greece, we're going to hear some ways to stay safe this wildfire season. I spoke to an expert who has 25 years of experience of wildfire response and control with a specialization in software modeling and decision support systems. Take a look. Joining me now is Joaquin Ramirez, the president of the International Association of Wildland Fire. I really appreciate your time today, Joaquin. What can people do to keep safe during wildfire season? Well, wildfire season is now the whole year, so we really have to be ready before everything happens. Uh, try to understand where we live. Try to understand the fires that may uh, that maybe uh, the meat appear in our community. Uh, be following the instructions of the of the first responders. Try to have our house ready, our community ready, and our family ready in case that uh, an event happens. Uh, be informed and be ready to go or be ready to follow orders uh, when when a, a wildfire may impact our house or our community. So what does a resilient community look like in terms of fire preparedness? So a resilient community is a community that really lives with fire, uh, that understands that around the community there may be fire that could impact the, the houses and that may be a disaster like we just happened in Lahaina. So let's start like having a house ready, clean of rushes. Uh, let's to have a good idea. We have to evacuate how, which are the evacuation areas, uh, try to avoid any kind of cluttering event, that, for example, like what happened in Paradise. Uh, around the bigger scale of the community, we're surrounded by big forests. Well, try to get some actions on those forests, try to keep it keep them healthy and even profitable by making you know field treatments that lower the potential of fire uh, embers that may come to our community so it's an all-year job uh, that makes our community a little more resilient 
and supporting prescribed burn or um, traditional use of wildland fires, traditional use of, you know, uh, all the uh, grazing for the different animals around the community are going to make a buffer of safety around our community, our house, our community. Supporting all of that is important. And what can we learn from the wildfires that devastated Hawaii? Well, what we can learn is that nobody can think that this is not going to happen to us, unfortunately. This is, although it was a really a, a once in a, a lifetime event, actually we did some numbers. It's a, it's a, it's a three, three times in, three, in one million. That's this is the chance to have this kind of wind event. But nature shows that this may happen. Uh, we have to live in balance and we have to understand the natural hazards that could be around our community, our house. Uh, it could be thunderstorms, it could be tornadoes, it could be tsunamis. Unfortunately, wildland fire is getting everywhere because we have a wonderful land that we have vegetation that grows, and if we have vegetation that grows and there is drought and there's conditions, there's going to be a fire. And if there's a fire, there's, gonna be, there's not going to be enough firefighters to save us all. So we have to be part of the solution as citizens, uh, supporting all these kind of activities. And Joaquin, a lot of that awareness is very important. So what should people put in their go bag if there is an evacuation? Well, obviously, uh, first of all, that go bag has to be ready. For any kind of hazard, it has to be ready. Uh, you, have, you need to have all your documentation, right? Because at the end of the day, you have to, you can, you have to restart your life. You have to have your basic needs, uh, medications, obviously, and any kind of information to support uh, the ones that are, taking, are, are caring about you, that are worrying about you, uh, to be able to, to connect, because all that moments are really critical batteries, lamp, water, and then uh, a coal mine. Uh, so be ready to go and for orders of the first responders. Excellent tips. Joaquin Ramirez, president of the International Association of Wildland Fire, thank you for your time. Thank you, Kevin. Wow. Well, it sounds like being ready really was the main message here to just you know, be ready all year round, like he said. That's a very good interview. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, well, and the people in those areas with a lot of forests definitely have to remain vigilant. Here in the concrete jungle, you know, we don't have the risk of fire from wildfires, right. but the smoke oh, is really... Oh, yeah, like we have witnessed already. Yes. But, yeah, it's it's definitely good to know that and to have that, to know that you're prepared. And I think that gives takes away a little bit of the of the fear because you can be reassured that you know what to do when something should happen. Yeah, and speaking of reassurance, actually, NYU said that those smoky days here in New York City really weren't much worse than a bad pollen day. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, so. there we go. And going to break now, for the past two decades, the Chinese Communist Party has waged covert economic warfare against the U.S. What's the impact on American manufacturing? Stay tuned to find out. And in our nation's first, the Biden administration approves direct military aid to Taiwan in a move meant to bolster its self-defense capabilities. Stay tuned for more. Good to have you back. U.S. manufacturing representatives yesterday spoke out about what they say is the detrimental impact the CCP has had on the American industry over two decades. Let's take a look. American manufacturers. Legislators and American manufacturers on Wednesday discussed how the Chinese Communist Party, or CCP, employs subsidies, anti-dumping actions, and technology theft to push out the U.S. manufacturers. This at a roundtable hosted by the House Select Committee on the CCP in Wisconsin. 
Bob Wallin, CEO of Stoughton Trailers, says its 53-foot shipping container production struggled against Chinese rivals underselling 10 years ago. Unfortunately, the International Trade Commission made a negative finding and we were forced to shut down our container manufacturing operations. Now, Chinese container manufacturers produce nearly all of the shipping containers used in the United States and control more than 90% of the global market. Mamoun Rashid, Oxen Solar CEO, says there used to be fair competition among U.S., European, and Japanese solar manufacturers. But he says China has become the dominant player in the last decade by using tactics like intellectual property theft and anti-competitive actions to hinder American products. The Chinese tried to scare us into withdrawing our fair trade, uh, fair trade petition. Just like Solar World was hacked in 2012, we were hacked last year. Our customer list was stolen. Our intellectual property was accessed. We were locked out of our servers. We were locked out of our uh, security servers as well. Having worked as a steelworker for 43 years, Steve Kramer has observed how China's unjust trade practices result in American job cuts. The mill was going down to this three days right before Christmas. It had a devastating effect on all the members, every employee that worked at that company. You can imagine how it feels not to have a full paycheck right before the holidays. Chairman Mike Gallagher says several potential actions could help U.S. manufacturing, including closing loopholes in labor protection regarding forced labor in China, fine-tuning tariffs, engaging in bilateral trade deals, and enhancing scrutiny of Chinese goods. And as we seek to selectively decouple in key areas from China, we need to make sure that we're turbocharging our economic and technological partnerships with other friendly countries. Select Committee Ranking Member Raja Krishnamurthy stressed that freedom gives the U.S. a competitive edge over the CCP. The key to innovation is freedom. We have something so precious in this country which the CCP uh, hates, which is freedom, freedom of thought, freedom to invent, freedom, freedom to invest, freedom to think big. The panel also discussed the need to develop a talent pipeline for manufacturing by training young Americans in vocational schools. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News. In an unprecedented move, Washington has approved its first direct military aid to Taiwan, the package totaling $80 million. The assistance is still small compared with recent sales to Taiwan, but it holds political significance. The deal falls under the State Department's foreign military financing program, normally reserved for sovereign nations. Experts say the provision also includes aid to international organizations and friendly foreign governments. The funding is required as part of the Taiwan Enhanced Resilience Act. A State Department spokesperson says it's meant to boost Taiwan's self-defense capabilities, but doesn't represent a change in Washington's One China policy. The move is expected to anger Beijing, which claims the self-governed island as part of its territory, despite never, ha never having ruled Taiwan. Significant allegations from National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. He says Russia and North Korea are involved in secret negotiations involving munitions. While exact details are unknown, Kirby said it would involve the sale of different types of munitions in significant quantities. He also said Korea may provide Russia with raw materials to increase their ability to manufacture more of their own munitions. Such arms deals violate numerous U.N. sanctions. 
The arms and raw materials would be used to bolster Russian efforts in Ukraine. The U.S. is urging North Korea to abide by U.N. sanctions and the public commitments they made to not provide arms to Russia. And now we've got some short headlines from around the world. Japan's defense ministry today submitted a record spending request of over $50 billion for next year, an increase of 12 percent. Prime Minister Fumio Kishida plans to double the country's defense spending by 2027 as it faces an increasingly assertive China and an unpredictable North Korea. Pret-a-Manger has been fined more than $1 million after one of its workers at a London restaurant got stuck in a freezer in 2021. The employee was left fearing for her life. She had to be treated for suspected hypothermia after spending two and a half hours in the walk-in commercial freezer, which typically has its temperatures set at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Italian police are investigating after five railway workers were killed in northern Italy. They were hit by a high-speed train while carrying out overnight maintenance work shortly before midnight. Two workers managed to avoid the train and were unhurt. The train passed at a speed of 100 miles per hour and was transporting wagons. After a truck spilled crates carrying five million bees onto a road west of Toronto yesterday, Police warned drivers to keep their car windows closed and pedestrians to avoid the area. Several beekeepers arrived offering help. One beekeeper got stung several times. Police said that a few hours later, most of the bees had been safely collected. And that is a massive improvement to Japan's defense. That's right. Necessary being that they're so close to China and all. Yes. And moving into break now, a discussion in a California library on girls' sports boils over into a battle over free speech. NTD spoke with a former college athlete about what went down. And the White House wants to extend mandatory overtime pay. A new plan would go further than an Obama-era rule that was struck down in court. That's after the break. Welcome back. Arizona has agreed to fork over two million bucks to the Biden administration for its makeshift border wall. That's to settle a lawsuit filed by the Department of Justice. Under former Republican Governor Doug Ducey, storage containers were placed at southern border wall gaps, reportedly to stem the tide of illegal border crossings. More than 120 shipping containers were used to plug nearly 4,000 feet of gaps in the wall in Yuma County. Arizona was told by federal officials in October 2022 it was violating federal law. Once Arizona pays the bill, the case will be dismissed. The funds will reportedly be used by the Forest Service. The agency says the money will address damage done to federal and tribal territories. A discussion on fair and safe sports for girls at a California library went south quick. A former female college soccer player says she was kicked out for so-called misgendering. Entity's Daniel Monahan spoke with Sophia Lori of the California Family Council. The event was organized by the Yolo County chapter of Moms for Liberty. Former college athlete Sophia Lori says she spoke at the event to highlight current policies she feels are affecting young athletes and to call for what she calls a level playing field. A minute into sharing her story, Lori says she was interrupted by protesters and the librarian over saying, current 10-year-old girls cannot live out the same dream she had as long as men are allowed to compete in women's sports. 
According to Lori, the librarian said the statement was misgendering people. She says she tried to keep the event going by using terms like biological girls and biological men, but the situation escalated and she was asked to leave. Can you, wait, can we, why am I being asked to leave? Lori says the librarian then turned out the lights and the entire event was shut down. Lori began playing soccer when she was four. By the age of 10, she knew she wanted to play on the collegiate level. I knew I could achieve that as long as I worked hard and put my mind to it. And after high school, I was able to go on and play college soccer at Vanguard University in Southern California. And Playing soccer honestly brought me everything in life, from the best of friends to teaching me how to persevere and push through the losses and the hard times of playing a sport, as well as it helped pay for my college education. Lori says she's grateful for everything soccer brought her, but feels the same opportunity is now being taken away from girls. We're seeing it all across the nation. Girls are not only losing their trophies, they're not only losing their starting spot, girls are getting injured. The former college athlete points to Peyton McNabb, a high school volleyball player. She says she was knocked unconscious and suffered a concussion after a ball was spiked onto her head by a boy who identifies as a girl during a match. And it's heartbreaking, you know, boys and girls are different. Males and females are biologically different. That's not bigotry to say so, it's just a biological fact. Males are faster and stronger, and so girls are losing out on opportunities. Lori says the issues for her go beyond the field and team. It's in bathrooms and locker rooms now, too. Girls can't even comfortably or safely change in locker rooms without males being in there. And, you know, it's okay. Like, people say, well, they identify as a female. That doesn't matter. Biologically, they are a male. And there's girls in those locker rooms that maybe haven't sexually abused before. And now they're in a locker room having to change in front of a male. It's safety of girls has gone out the door for the feelings of men. Lori says she believes in First Amendment rights and the importance of open dialogue in shaping society. For her, the incident was a stark reminder of the challenges in promoting these values. But she says the experience reaffirmed her conviction to stand for what she believes to be true. Yolo County Library did not respond to a request for comment by broadcast time. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. We're continuing with the Biden administration, which is looking to ease restrictions on marijuana. The Department of Health and Human Services is recommending to move marijuana to a lower risk drug category. The Department of Health and Human Services on Tuesday provided its findings and recommendations on marijuana to the Drug Enforcement Agency. This is part of the Biden administration's efforts to ease restrictions on the drug. Marijuana is currently classified as a Schedule I drug under the Controlled Substances Act, meaning it has a high potential for abuse and no accepted medical use, along with drugs like heroin and LSD. The HHS is recommending reclassifying marijuana to say it has a moderate to low potential for dependence and a lower abuse potential, which would put it in a class with ketamine and testosterone. Marijuana use is currently legal in some form in over 30 states, it remains completely illegal in some states and at the federal level. Recent studies are shedding light on the harms of marijuana. A study published in the journal Environmental Health Perspectives found that marijuana users have more heavy metals like cadmium and lead in their body compared to the general public. 
Another new study published Tuesday in JAMA Network Open found that using both medical and recreational weed led to a more severe addiction than using medical marijuana alone. The DEA says it has the final authority to schedule or reschedule a drug under the Controlled Substances Act and the agency will review the HHS's recommendations. Coming up, text message scams are threatening your dollars like never before. How to avoid them? NTD Business host Don Ma brings us more when we come back. Good morning and welcome back. Text message scams have grown at an exponential rate in recent years. How can you protect your hard-earned money from scammers? Here to discuss this is Entity Business host Don Ma. Good to have you, Don. Good to be here, Evelyn. Now, reports of bank impersonations by text in 2022 jumped to 20 times the number reported in 2019. Don, what are the tactics that, are, that the scammers are using to get people to fall for these scams? Yeah, great question, Evelyn. So text message scammers, you know, will try to do things like trying to make you feel like an action is required immediately. It may come as an urgent message warning you to call or click on a link because of some uh, alleged suspicious activity. Actually, major banks were popular choices for scammers to impersonate in 2022. And according to the FTC, the most common text messages scams often claim to be from large banks, including um, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase, Citibank. Evelyn? Now that's tricky. How do we identify them in that case? How do we avoid falling for them? Yeah, another great question. So with any decision about your finances, avoid taking action when, when you feel scared, stressed, or, or pressured. This is really the key rule of thumb here. Don't make money moves under pressure. Your bank will not use pressure tactics against you. And this next tip is an, another important one. Don't click on any links that are texted to you. You should always confirm the text messages that are being sent to you is true, is, is the actual thing by going to the official websites. You know, whether that's uh, your bank website or a postal service website. And another tip is if a text message is telling you to call a number or respond, you know, just don't do it. Always double check anything you find suspicious. But, you know, in the event that you should happen to fall for a text scammer impersonating your bank, alert your bank of the incident to make sure no money leaves your bank account fraudulently. Very good tips, and pressure does seem to be a recurring uh, theme in those scams. So anything else that you have for us, Don? Sure. Um, seems like shares of Visa and MasterCard shot up to their highest price uh, ever, actually, Wednesday. That's according to Forbes. It happened after the Wall Street Journal reported the companies could increase merchant fees soon. The report says Visa will raise its fees in October and MasterCard will follow suit in April. The journal cited unnamed sources, though, in the article. And besides that, a new figure on Biden's student debt relief plan. The Department of Education announced it's canceling $72 million in federal student loan debt for more than 2,000 students who attended the for-profit Ashford University in California. The department found that the university made, quote, 
numerous substantial misrepresentations to borrowers between 2009 and 2020. And so far, the Biden administration has approved cancellation of more than $116 billion of student loan debt for more than 3.4 million people. And now turning to health insurance. Errors may have led children to lose Medicaid coverage. This is according to the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. CMS sent letters to all 50 states yesterday asking them to assess their systems to figure out why people lost coverage, you know, especially children here. And millions reported such losses after a COVID-era policy expired in April. Officials believe the eligibility systems in a number of states are not programmed properly, causing automatically renewed at the renewals at the family level to not follow through on an individual level. Uh, but other than that, that's all from me this morning, Evelyn. Well, thank you, Don, host of NTD Business. Good insights as always. Thank you, Evelyn. The Biden administration is moving to extend mandatory overtime pay. A new plan would go even further than an Obama-era rule that was struck down in court. The Department of Labor released a proposed rule that would require employers to pay overtime premiums to workers who earn a salary of less than $1,059 per week, or about $55,000 per year. The Trump administration in 2020 set the current salary threshold at about $35,500 per year. U.S. wage law requires employers to pay eligible workers one and a half times their regular rate of pay when they work more than 40 hours in a week. President Biden's proposal would not affect overtime eligibility for workers who are paid hourly. Publication of the proposal will kick off a 60-day public comment period. That's a lot of people who are impacted. And, you know, we've seen President Joe Biden make that a big part of his campaign, helping the labor. Yeah. Um, let's see how that will impact his, yeah. um, his run, huh? And up next, we have the story of Hong Kong's sugar man creating works of art out of molten sugar. You're going to want to see this. Welcome back, and we're heading to Hong Kong, where an ancient craft is being kept alive. So-called sugarmen create fabulous little works of art out of molten sugar by shaping them into intricate characters using only their hands and minimal equipment. Let's take a look. Louis Tao is heading to his little shop on one of Hong Kong's remote islands. A traditional sugarman by trade, he uses molten sugar for his creations. The Asian Chinese art dates back 600 years. Despite being one of best and renowned craftsmen of his trade, Louis is one of the few remaining practitioners in the city that still does sugar blowing. Sugar sculpture, sugar blowing, and sugar painting. These three skills make a legit sugar man. For sugar sculpture, basically you are shaping a sugar dough with scissors or by hand. Sugar blowing combines the skills of blowing the sugar. And sugar sculpture, you shape the candy while you are blowing into it. Luis has mastered a whole range of characters he can create, including dragons, which are a much-loved symbol in Chinese culture. Instead of using mold to shape his creations, Luis follows the traditional method of molding by hand. 
The most difficult thing about sugar sculpture is temperature control. Other than the temperature, you also need to control its plasticity. So when you pick up the molten sugar, you can't wait because it's too hot for you to handle. If it cools down, it doesn't work. His shop is a popular destination for locals and tourists who want to see the master at work. Usually, they just let you blow into the sugar dough, making candies that are shaped like dogs and cats. But it's not so detailed. We just saw this shop that still does the traditional craft. My kids don't get to see this craft, so I came over to let them experience it. Not everyone knows how to make this. It's a delicate craft. Dr. Ao Cheng King is an assistant professor of the Department of History at Hong Kong Shuiyan University. He has been researching traditions like these and says the ancient craft is worth preserving. Especially before the 70s and 80s, Hong Kong's economy was not that good. A lot of parents used their money to buy this little craft for their kids. This is an element that reflects the history of Hong Kong. I believe people who were in their 40s or 50s would have played with candy sculptures or blown sugar dolls as kids. He added that another reason to preserve the art is because it's a reflection of Chinese value and culture. With so few practitioners left, one can only hope the Asian craft doesn't fade away completely. Wow, those are impressive. That last one almost looked like jade. Oh yeah, I know, right? Can you believe this is sugar? I, it's mind-blowing. Cool story. All right, happy Wednesday, everyone. You might still have a chance to see the supermoon if you look up into the sky tonight. Today is Thursday, of course. You've probably heard the saying, once in a blue moon. Well, last night, this rare blue supermoon made a spectacular sight near the Spanish coastal town and over the Gaza Strip. So a blue moon doesn't refer to its color, but means it's the second full moon in a month. So the moon is at its closest point to Earth, making it look larger than normal. There won't be another opportunity to see one until the, until the 2030s. Wow. That is really bright. And you know, I've actually used the telescope to look at the moon, and you use this little filter that dims out some of the light, because otherwise it's too bright. But you could see the craters. It's really cool. Oh, really? Uh, I missed it, as always. <laughs> well, I'll probably take the chance tonight then, because it seems like um, it will be a long time until we see another one. Mm -hmm. All right, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. Shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.